First Peter. Um, next week, just to remind you, we're going to be outside, so wear something warm and um, bring a Bible. It's always good to bring your Bible. Uh, I'm not sure the disciples carried scrolls with them when they went out to the, to the uh, lakeside, but they had the word in their hearts, so that's always good. So First Peter uh, chapter 3 and verse uh, 15 is what we're going to look at. Um, actually, we'll probably go back to 14 to begin. Um, again, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you that we can be open to you as we stand before your throne to worship. Holy Spirit, come. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit would say to us this morning, that you would be honored in us, you would uh, deal with us, talk with us, speak to us in our innermost being. Because, Lord, you're raising up a church, you're raising up people to stand in this day. So, Lord, uh, guide our time today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. First Peter chapter 3, um, at the end of verse 14, it says, Don't fear their threats, do not be frightened. I think we all understand that we're in a day of a lot of fear going on, a lot of concern about what's happening in our culture, a lot of things that are changing, a lot of uh, things happening in our finances, all those kind of things. And the enemy just delights to give us fear on those things. But over and over in the scripture, I think someone told me that there are 365 times in scripture, different places, that's do not fear. So I guess God's concerned that we're not afraid, right? God said, no, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. And, and oh, by the way, don't be afraid. Why? I'm with you, I'm your God, I'm strong, we're going to make this through. So Peter's writing to a group of people that are in exile. They're out running away um, from um, the people who are trying to persecute them. He writes to this group of people, these believers, and he said, um, don't fear their threats. Don't be frightened. And then he gives us the clue to how we need to be walking as believers, it says, um, verse 15, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. I, I, I touched on this verse last week, but it's that part that I didn't touch that I want to just grab right now. It says, revere Christ in your hearts. Make your heart in line with the Lord's heart. Honor him. Make your worship good to the Lord. It's, this is uh, an application of out of the book of Matthew 22, out of Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. This is the first and greatest commandment, the second like unto it, Jesus said. But here's the deal. He said, you've got to love God with everything you have. Giving him your heart, that's the same thrust as revere, in your hearts, revere the Lord. Keep God first place, love him. And because you do that, because you keep God as number one in your heart, in your thinking, it goes on, it says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Because you're doing that, because you got God first in your life, you're walking, be ready, always be ready to anyone, to give an answer to anyone that says, how come you got hope? Why are you at peace? Why, why is something different about you? And I think this day, and we've talked about this a lot through this year, and finding uh, our hope in Zion, finding our hope in the Lord, that that makes a difference. People said, how come you're not shook up? Well, I have hope. Why do you have hope? Well, we need to have a reason to give that hope. We need to, to be settled, be able to, to uh, go to the foundation of your faith and said, my foundation is Jesus Christ. This is the, my bedrock that I'm standing on in this time. And we've been talking about that. 
that you can give an answer and said, I'm settled in what I believe. And I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. I believe in the gospel. I believe that he died on the cross. He was buried, rose again the third day, and he ascended on high. He came that I might have life. That's gospel. That's good news. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, this is where we've been uh, really looking at the last number of weeks. And how Paul talked to another church. Peter talked to a group of people. Paul did too. And in the first book of Corinthians, he's talking to a church that's living in a very difficult time. It's a very uh, hedonistic society. A lot of, uh, of uh, greed. It was, just, it was just a bad time. We could look at that. We've done that before, but we don't need to do it this morning. But he talks about, you're God's field. God, Paul said, I plant it. Apollos water. God gave increase. There's fruit coming out of your life. But then he says, uh, 1 Corinthians 3, at the end of verse 9, he said, you are God's field. You are God's building. So he takes another picture from being a field with seed planted in it to bear fruit to a building. And then he goes on to say, he said, by the grace God give, has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Let me read on. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hair, straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, yet will be saved, even though as by one escaping through the flames. Building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Verse 13 said, the day will reveal it. There will come a day that's going to bring it to light. It's going to be, the, the, as Jesus gave the parable of the man who built on the sand or built on the rock. He said the storm will come and how you build will be determined. It will be revealed if your building is still standing at the end of this. If it falls apart, you know that you didn't build properly. You didn't build on a foundation that's going to sustain you. Same principle here. In fact, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. you don't need to turn there. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight is that passage in Scripture where we talk about communion, the Lord's table. When we gather at the table of the Lord, which we did a couple of weeks ago, and we look at that table of the Lord, Paul said, this is what I received from the Lord. And he begins to show them. But down a couple of verses later, he said, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. There's an examination that you ought to do. Check it out. Where are you at? In 2 Corinthians 13, 5, he said, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. We need to be testing, examining. Check the foundation. Make sure that we're on solid rock, the rock of Christ Jesus. So over the past several weeks, we've been looking at false, faulty foundations that many have built on in their lives. And we've talked about what to do to solve that. If you find yourself having, uh, let's just say, well, I'll go down through them again. The first one, the faulty one, is ignorance. You just don't know. And, of course, if you don't know, you need to get to the book and find out how to know what you need to know. You just don't know. Uh, you're just on the heaven road, as they might say, but don't know anything more than that. 
You say, well, I've not read much of the Bible. I have no idea where to find the books of the Bible that you're referring to, Pastor. I've not studied the life of the one who say I've given my life to. I haven't studied about Jesus, and, and I say that he's my Savior, but I don't know anything about him. You're ignorant. You need to learn. You need to grow in grace. You need to grow in the knowledge of the Lord. You need to get into the Word of God and get built. So ignorance is no way to build your house because the winds come. Or someone asks you, why are you a Christian? Well, I don't know. Well, what did you do? Well, I gave my life to Jesus. On what basis did you do that? Why? Well, I don't know. I'll call my friend. They know the Bible better than I do. You see, that's no way to stand. You've got to know it for yourself. You know, uh, in, in all my years as pastoring, I've, I've counseled a lot of married couples. And uh, when I get to a certain point, by the way, if I've ever talked to you, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about those other people. I don't know who they are, but I'll just say this generically. I'll say to all men, I'll just talk to men. I won't talk about women because women are, well, we'll get there in a second. Anyway, I get to men, and uh, they're struggling in their marriage. They're not communicating well. They don't get, he said, I don't get her. And she said, well, I'll get him. And we're trying to make this thing work. And I ask a man, generally speaking, and I say to him, I said, listen, I want to go after a deer. I want to go hunting this year. You're a hunter, right? Oh, yeah. Tell me all you know about deer. Oh, man. This is, we're coming to the time to get into the rut. It's going to happen. We get to trail them down. We put out the, 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 the salt in the right place. We get our tree stand in the right place. I said, what time? Do, well, you can't get them here. You've got to get them there. Well, what are they going to do? Well, when they twitch their ear, they're going to move that way. And when they twitch it the other way, they're going to move that way. You've got to be ready because when they come, they're going to, you've got to be ready because that's how they are. Would well, you have any magazines at home? Oh, yeah, I get deer. I get all this stuff. I got all my magazines. I'm looking at all the pictures. I got them all. And then if I switched gears a little bit and said, are you a fisherman? Oh, yes, I am. Let me show you my fish. They're this big. This big. That, just that big. No, okay, big. Well, where, what did you get? Well, I went fishing for some bass. Well, what are bass like? I mean, they, they're down here low. We got to get them over there. And they can tell you everything there is to know about bass. I said, okay, you love hunting? Yeah, I really, you love fishing? Yeah, I really do. Do you love your wife? Yes, I do. What do you know about her? <sighs> I don't know. I don't know. I can't figure her out. Did you ever study her? Did you ask her? Because sometimes she doesn't know what she likes, so you got to ask her. Did I just say that? Sorry, ladies. I didn't mean that. Oh, yes, I did. <laughs> Honey, I don't know what I'm thinking. Oh, I don't either. So let's get on with this marriage thing. But here's the deal. Men, if you want to live with someone in a relationship that's going to be based on the, the word of God, you've got to study the one you say you love. I've heard too many ladies come and said, he just doesn't listen. He doesn't care. He doesn't get it. But if only you men would stop and listen, don't try to solve the first thing that comes out of their mouth because that's not the one they believe. The one they believe is the one that comes back in and comes out again. And maybe that's not it yet. So don't get in there and try to fix it. Listen, enough of marriage, right? Don't be ignorant, okay? You know, it doesn't work. you got to get knowledgeable about these things. It's the same with the Lord. We say, my Jesus, I love you. Lord, there's none like you. How do you know? How do you know that if you have not got into his word and built your founda build your foundation, have it settled that Jesus Christ is my Lord? It's time to learn. Second one we looked at was tradition. Now, I know that tradition is 
something that can be good. We have traditions that are pretty good. But we looked a lot in Scripture where Jesus condemned those that follow the traditions of men, not the commands of God. We looked at that, traditions. Well, we've always done it that way. In our church, that's how we worship. This is the way it is. Now, many of our traditions have nothing to do with Scripture. They have nothing to do with the Word of God. They're just a place that people say, well, I'm comfortable when we kneel, when we stand, when we do this, when we do that, when we have our way. But the problem with traditions is that you can easily judge those that don't go according to your tradition. And I don't care whether it's liturgical or whether it's traditional or whether it's charismatic or whether it's Pentecostal. I've been in services, stuff that we don't have one or three or ten people speaking in tongues with interpretations. We're not having church yet. That's tradition. You know, there's scriptural things. Listen. You can't build your life on tradition, whether it was the way you grew up as a kid, the way you learned about things, but it's how you move into and how you walk in the scriptural traditions and base your life not on traditions, but on the foundation of the Word of God. Now, last week we talked about another faulty foundation, and that's hearsay. 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 Something, somebody told you something or you heard something that you now repeat, but it's unverifiable. In the legal sense, we call that hearsay, hearsay evidence, and it's normally kicked out of a legal uh, situation. Of, well, I heard so-and-so say they were going to do this. Well, throw that out because it's inadmissible evidence. It's not something that you can, not I saw, I heard. It's what I heard somebody say about something. But when you bring that idea into your faith, well, uh, you know, you may have learned if you grew up in somewhat of a Christian home, maybe a powerful Christian home, too much of it is, well, you just do it because I said so. You've done it. Judy and I, in raising our boys, have really struggled hard that it wouldn't be that their faith was based upon mom and dad said so. Mom and dad believe this way, therefore, I have to believe that way. We work very hard to try to challenge their foundation to say, no, what do you believe? I've got to help you understand that it's got to be your faith. It's got to be where you are going to stand. Because when the storm comes, when they get off to college, they have nothing to stand on. Because mom and dad are not around to say, well, that's what they believe. Well, my pastor's not here. I'm not here. So I'm open now, not on steady ground, but on something of hearsay that it's going to go through, and it's just, uh, I don't know about you, but I've heard enough of those words, well, just trust me on that. When I hear that, at my age, I said, I don't trust you as far as I can throw you. If you're throwing trust me out there, trust me out there, I want to know what's behind that trust. I want to know so I can know if that is true or whether that's not true, and then it's not just where, they, these are things that I build my life on. Go to Acts chapter 17 real quick. We're just looking at some false foundations that people often find themselves in. But in Acts chapter 17, verse 10, I've, I've referred to this at different times. Verse 10, as soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now, the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those of Thessalonica. 
for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. So here is a, a testimony or example of someone who said, we're not going to build our life, our foundation, our house, how we're going to live based upon just what this guy Paul walked through the doors and said. We're going to go back to the Word of God and see if it is true, to see if it works. I was talking to someone yesterday, and I was asking them to attend our church. This is somebody I was talking to, and um, got in the conversation about a lot of things that are happening right now in the church in different places. And I mentioned this. I said, I'm finding that people are following things just because they like that preacher or that worship team or that this or that. And when that struggles or doesn't add up, they don't know what to do. They're lost. And in that conversation came this fact that we're lazy. We don't, we don't take it seriously. Remember the first words I read? But revere the Lord in your hearts. In your heart, make a place for God to be reverenced and honored and followed. But when we, when we ride in on just hearsay, we're going to fall apart. Well, they said, well, who's they? They're not here now. What do you believe? And that's an important thing for all of us. And we, I've talked about this before. My goal as your pastor or elders is that you mature. You have a foundation. You grow up so that when nobody's around, you're going to stand. Why? Because I've, my faith, my life is built upon the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John 4, 1 says this. He said, test the spirits. Test them. Don't believe every spirit that comes along. Everything that makes you feel good. Everything that sounds good. Listen to the Holy Spirit. See if it's aligned with the Word of God. Well, I'm talking about a lot of things that are sort of getting at what we really believe. I'm, I'm talking about the foundation of Jesus. But I have one more faulty one that I find many of us will... Uh, Bring in the practical, bring in, I mean, our normal life and bring it into our spiritual life. And that's the word experience. Experiences. Experiences, practical, uh, uh, it's practical content with an observation of facts or events. It's a practical content with an observation of facts or events. Experience is defined as something that happened to someone. It was their experience. Experience is something you have gained because you've done it for a long time. The knowledge and skill in a particular job or activity for a long time. In other words, you might have worked on a particular job or done things a certain way. You've done it for your whole life. You have a lot of experience in that. Well, this is my experience. And there's a lot of types of experience out there. You can have physical experiences, mental experiences, emotional experiences. You can have spiritual experiences, social experiences, virtual experiences today. You can just have adulthood. You grew up and got some more experience. But when you build your life on experience, something happens about that. And we'll get to that. But let me give you some examples of what I mean, how experience works. Uh, 
A number of years ago, Judy and I, along with some folks here from the church, went down to uh, Tucson, Arizona, and we worked in a Bible translation center. And we met some of the uh, Bible translators. And the way Wycliffe Bible Translator does it is you go into a tribe, and it was in southern Mexico, a tribe, and they had their own language. It wasn't Spanish. It was their own language. And so the Bible translator comes in, and he attempts to learn their language. So what they would do is uh, try to find a place to settle, be nice, get to know people a little bit as they can, and then they would hire someone's services to work with them to learn the language of the tribe. They would do things like uh, touch a tree and say, how do you say tree? Tree. Now, it would be in their own language. They'd look at a table. They'd look at a cat. They'd look at a house. They'd look at the floor. They'd look at the sky. And every time, they would try to get a vocabulary of how the people identified. It would be like if all of us uh, suddenly needed to learn some of one of the 11 languages in South Africa, we would have to go there and do the same thing. We don't know what those are. We'd have to learn. Well, they had been there about six or eight months really getting into it. They're working hard to learn tree and house and bird and all those words. And then the chief, who got to know them by night, he came to them and said, can I ask you a question? They must have had Spanish as a trade language because they could communicate, but they wanted to get the Bible into their language. Anyway, he said, why did you hire Lupe? Well, what do you mean? He's been helping us. Well, don't you know he speaks with a lisp? All right, let that sink in a minute. Every word they've learned so far is like this. They said, that's a tree. That's this. And so they said, but our experience tells us, because we work so hard, that that's what, how you say that. That's not how anybody talks around here. He's got, a, he's got a speech impediment. Now, wouldn't that mess up your day? That now you have experience. Now what do you have to do? You have to unlearn everything you did. That's by living according how, you didn't know how wrong your experience was, but it was wrong. And they told us, sitting around, they're just telling us, said, you've got to know that that was one of the hardest starts to anything. We had to go through, throw away our books, all our accents, all the little things that we put on, you know, and we had to do it right. You see, sometimes experience can take you down a wrong road, but that's my experience. Well, it's wrong, okay? So you're looking at it. I'm talking about experience. How about church? If you grew up in church, many of us will identify with this. This is the most boring experience I've ever had. And you might be 8 or 7 or 6 or 10 or 12 or 14 or 18. You say, man, do we have to go to church? Mom, it's so boring. Anybody want to admit to that? If you raise your hand, I'm not going to be happy because I try not to be boring. Okay? Some of you grew up that way. So as you go through life, somebody talks to you about Jesus or talks to you about the excitement of following God with all your heart, and they say, oh, uh, I've been to church. It is boring. I can't take it. And then you might talk to somebody who said, I grew up in church. It was exciting. God was moving in church. I love going to church. I love being a part of that. I want to be a part of what God's doing today. They have a whole different experience, a whole different way that they approach things. It's what we think is normal. It's my favorite place, boring place. So experience, what does that tell you? Is either true? Maybe, maybe not. Okay? Let's get to family. Your family experience can dictate a lot of things to you. If you try to build on that, you might be building on a faulty way. 
Years ago, teaching at Montana Woodlands School of the Bible, we had a young man come, and he had grown up in a, quote, Christian home. That's why you would go to a Bible school, I guess, or go on to that. But he grew up in a very, very hard family. It was violent. It was abusive. It was angry. He got beat so bad so often. But here's the thing. He thought it was normal. That's all he knew. He gets to Bible school. I remember that class. It was, it was amazing. So he gets, he's rooming with a bunch of guys, of course, a men's dorm. And they start talking about their families. And then it, it began to dawn on him. You mean your dad didn't beat you every day? No. You mean... They, they didn't put on a show to go to church? No, they were real. My mom and dad were. And it, he said, I, I was shocked to find out that not every family was like that. You see, he, his experience dictated something to him that he thought was normal. It was the only thing. It didn't hit things right. So, he was shocked to find something else. You see, experience will keep you also. Let me hurry on with this. It, it will keep you from some relationships. You know, a um, young couple about to have a first baby. They start talking about names. Let's just say, um, she says, if it's a boy, we're going to name him Robert. And he said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Not Robert. Well, why not? Robert's my favorite uncle. He was always around. He gave me, I love my Uncle Robert. He said, well, I had a bully in school who bullied me whole, my whole life. I've seen him do all this stuff. And all my life, every Robert I met has been a jerk. I'm not naming my kid Robert. Well, now we have to talk, right? We have to get a name that we both need. But look at experience. will dictate to you what you think you need to know, how things go. So, you go on. How about family stuff again? What about girls? Girls will break your heart. Well, so will guys break a girl's heart. So I'm not going to date. I'm, I'm, my experience will say different. How about cars? I'm never buying a Chevy. Why? Because the Chevy I bought was a, was a junker. I hated that car. Well, you might have said that if you had the Dodge or the Ford or the Toyota, whatever it is. Your experience will dictate how you view it. The way, the way you got saved, the way you met Jesus, again, I... Uh, back in the hippie days, back when there were street preachers up in Cleveland, a guy with a black suit and white shirt and black tie. One of our friends years ago said, I was up there, I was a hippie doing all our stuff down there, and this guy preached, and I met Jesus, and I knelt on the sidewalk in Cleveland, and I got saved, and I'm telling you, that's the way to get saved. So when he talked to people about the Lord, he said, we got to find a sidewalk. we got to get you down on the sidewalk. Because that's how you meet Jesus, getting on your knees at a sidewalk. Why? His experience told him, not based upon the Word of God, but that was his experience. You see, and it would just say, how to pray. We, we build our life on how to pray because of our experience. If you sat in a church where nobody's whispered prayers, that's fine. You know, okay, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing that says you have to shout all the time. But another friend, I have too many friends. I'm going to unfriend them all I'll, after I use them as my examples, okay? So anyway, he was in the Marines, gloriously got saved, went to a church where all you did is shout. I mean, we're shouting to God. 
And we're glory to God, that, you know, just shouting all the time. And so when it comes time to pray, he would just shout, Lord, let's, you know. He still does it because he calls and leaves these prayers on our, our, our answering machine. We just step back and let him pray because he can touch God with these prayers. Well, when another friend in, in interviewing him for a job, they were sitting in a restaurant, and he said, well, go ahead and give a blessing for the food. He stands up in the restaurant and says, glory to God, bless the food. And he said, could you just sit down? It's really okay. We can pray quietly at a restaurant. No, we can't. We got to shout. And so people didn't take him out much, you know, because that was his experience. You see, we're crazy about this stuff. My experience says this. This is how it ought to be. Now, go to the book of Ecclesiastes. That's that book that many people don't like to read because it's sort of depressing in a sense, but it's true. If you find the book of Psalms in the middle of your Bible, Psalms, Proverbs, and you can find Ecclesiastes right after that. If you hit Song of Solomon, you've gone too far, come back towards the front. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. The writer which most people believe, and I believe as well, is Solomon. The words, verse, chapter 1, verse 1, the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. But I want to go down to verse 16 to begin. I said to myself, Ecclesiastes 1.16, I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much wisdom and knowledge. And I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this, too, is chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. Let me, I'll talk about this book. Let's go to the end of the book first, 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. He comes to this and he said, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Remember your creator, important, and the creator in the days of youth. And then his final words, verse, let's go to 12, 9. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted the knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They are collective sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books, there's no end. And much study wearies the body. Verse 13. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. This is the conclusion of this book. He said, what I'm going to write to you about is the finding of the meaning of life without the foundation of God, the foundation of Messiah, Yeshua. Here is what I found. He said, this is what I found in the building on experience. If experience is what it's going to be, I'm going to write it down. I'm going to look for it. You can divide it up maybe three ways. Materialistic. He would write about materials. That life object is in the abundance of possessions or achievements. 
He said, I looked, I had everything. I got everything. I achieved everything. I was the wisest man in all of, all of the world, the known world at that time. I was that, materialistic. That didn't answer it. Sensualist. And by the word essentialist, I mean to discover meaning in physical pleasure. Sex, food, excitement, that adrenaline rush and adventure. He said, that didn't last. That didn't meet my heart need. That didn't, I couldn't build on that. Scholars seeking purpose through intellectual inquiry and wisdom. He said, life's meaning and foundation can't be discovered. It's only revealed by God to you, really by the Holy Spirit. He said, fear God and keep his commandments. Get that relationship right. Again, what I'm talking about is we can go along in life, and the farther we go, the more experience we get. We begin to live in experience, not reality of the Lord, not, not the Word of God established in my heart, the foundation that we read about, the foundation of Jesus Christ. Even Paul said that. Go to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians chapter 3. Paul said, beginning at verse 4, Though I myself have reasons for confidence, if anyone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I'm more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm in uh, Philippians 3, verse 5. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Messiah, Yeshua, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from him on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already attained all this. I've already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what's behind, straining towards what is behead, ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He said, looked around, he looked down at verse 18, because he said, I look around and I'm seeing that their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is their shame, their mind is set on earthly things. I'm looking around and seeing what people are doing. He said, but our citizenship is in heaven. Our foundation is heaven. Our foundation is what Jesus Christ has done for us. Now, finally, what you have learned and experienced in life can really affect and determine your success or failure. You, what you've learned experience. It goes along with tradition. I grew up that way. That's what my tradition says if I grew up in an angry church, that's how I view God. If I grew up in a loving place, that's how I view God. It, or maybe I grew up in both and had to discover what is God really like in this. 
you, you, it will affect you. Your experience does have a lasting effect, but you must build your life on truth. Your experience must be validated by the truth of the Word of God. Now, here's the if I have, then I should. All right, this is a sentence I've used before in tradition, ignorance, hearsay. This is the one for experience. If I built my life on experience, I need to tie those experiences with the truth of God's word. Otherwise, I will not be able to stand when the enemy opposes me. I won't be able to stand when the storms come. Also, I really can't expect my experiences to be the same for others. I mentioned that. God works in many different ways with his creation, with his people. So I've got to guard that. You see, there's so much in our culture today of, of church that's, that says, come, feel God. Just feel him. It's going to be good here. Just feel. Trust this. We're just going to. And no one's checking it out to see if it's right. And much of what's going on in the church is not right. It's not based upon the word of God. It's not based on the truth of who Jesus Christ is. The foundation the only foundation, and Paul said it to the church of Corinth, there is no other foundation that has been laid other than Jesus Christ. It's his person. It's his deity, his life, his death, his salvation, his doctrines, his resurrection, his ascension, his Holy Spirit who lives in us, and his return, he's coming back. You see, all truth about Jesus is revealed in his word. We've got to become people of the Word of God, that we stand upon the Word of God, and we say, Lord, I want to know you. I want to, I give this my desire to follow you. I want to know you, and I offer up to you all of my ignorance, because I want to know. I'm coming to know. I give you all my traditions, and Lord, I know I get filled up about that. I got feelings about traditions, but Lord, I don't want those if they're not according to your Word. Lord, I'm tired of just listening to what people say. I want to know what you say to me in your word. Of course, we need trusted people. We need people in the word of God. We need pastors, teachers. We need that. But I'm saying go back and see if it's true. And I need to take my life and say, Lord, here it is. All of it I give to you. I give to you so that I can stand in this day. We need to know him in order to stand in him. He's our only foundation and I want to remind you of that. I want to stir you up to that, to ride in that. We need to know that, to be solid in the Lord. Worship team, you come up. Let's all stand. Holy Spirit, take your word today. Apply it to our hearts. Let us grab hold of the, the rock of our salvation, that we can stand and stay. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who's been shaken by things and they're not sure what's going on. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would guide them into all truth. That we can stand in this day. We can stand in, on your word. Stand on your truth. And Lord, we sang at the beginning, behold, he comes riding on a cloud. He was coming back, Lord Jesus. And we want to be ready. But until you come, Lord, we have to be able to give a reason for the hope that lies in us. To simply share that it's you. There's no one like you. There's no one so gracious and glorious and majestic as you, our Savior, 
our soon coming king. Lord, we just anticipate that, that in the, until that day comes, we're going to press in to know you. It's our desire to give you our life. We worship you.